Today, Carl, Eric, and Nick are joined by a special guest, Mark Schofield, to dive into what Kirk Cousins would bring to the Broncos if they sign him in free agency, as well as the positives and negatives of each of the top four quarterbacks in the upcoming NFL draft. You are listening to the Huddle Up Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Once again, Broncos country, it is time to huddle up draft style. I'm your host, Carl Dummler, and with me today, my co-host is, of course, Nick Kendall and show regular Eric Trickle. We're joined today by a very special guest, Mark Schofield. Mark is a writer and quarterback guru over at Inside the Pylon, as well as the host of Locked On Patriots. Please don't hold that against him. Mark has put in the time to really analyze the quarterbacks in the upcoming NFL draft, putting out articles on ITP and videos on YouTube, including the very fun and enlightening series covering each quarterback's interceptions from this past season. Mark, thank you for coming on. How are you and and what is the latest? Gentlemen, Carl, Nick, Eric, thank you so much for having me on. It's, It's a pleasure to be with you. And we are just now getting into it with Combine around the corner. Although, as we were talking before the show, Valentine's Day is tomorrow. And I understand you guys have gotten things taken care of, so I'm glad to hear that. But I'm excited to be here, ready to talk some quarterbacks with you guys. Nick, how are you, man? Uh, like we were talking about a little bit ago, I got all that Valentine's Day stuff ready to go for tomorrow. So everything's lined up and, you know, we're, we're planning on a little lower key thing. And then the girlfriend's like, oh, I got you a few things. I'm like, oh, man. So I'm <laughs> hustling out there today and getting everything lined up and good to go. So excited for that. Should be a good one. We had a pretty low key weekend as well. And things are starting to get warmer. Leaving work today on the bus, the sun was actually still up. So Spring is around the corner, and that means the NFL draft is going to be here before we know it. Good to hear. Eric, how are you up there in Alaska? Doing great. It's past 5 o'clock, and it's still light outside. Season's changing. So happy for that. Tired of the darkness up here. Other than that, doing great. Hanging out with the daughter all day is fantastic for me, and getting to watch all the film and stuff and trying to get her into the NFL, even though she's not quite eight months old yet. There you go. Got to start them young. All right, well, the Huddle Up 2018 draft show's focus is all things that relate to your Denver Broncos as it pertains to the upcoming NFL draft. With Nick and myself being draftaholics, we'll be bringing you fresh insight and analysis each week in every single episode. From scouting reports, player value, scheme, and personnel fits, and general draft-related banter. You can follow myself on Twitter, at Carl Dumbler MHH, as well as follow Nick, at Nick Kindle MHH, and Eric at Eric Trickle, and of course, Mark at Mark Schofield. Be sure to tweet us any questions or opinions you have because we live for talking Bronco football. You can also follow the podcast Twitter account at HuddleUpPod. Make sure you check out ours and our co-writers' written content at milehighhuddle.com, a part of scout.com, and an affiliate of the CBS Sports Digital Network. We know your listeners are as football, draft, and Bronco crazy as we are, so please give us a click and subscribe to us on iTunes as well as Stitcher. And don't forget to share us on Facebook and Twitter. We wouldn't be here today without you listeners. So as a call to action, please take the time and go to iTunes or Spreaker to rate and subscribe to let your voices be heard on how you enjoy the show. Well, Mark, we'd just love to dive right in with uh, the guy that most people are really linking to the Broncos. And it's not pertaining to the NFL draft, but that is Kirk Cousins getting ready to hit the market. What are your thoughts on this guy? 
Well, Carl, I mean, I think when you look at Cousins, you sort of have to, as an organization, balance the stability that he would bring to the quarterback position for the, say, the next, you know, four to six years, I think you'd be hoping if you were to sign Kirk Cousins as a free agent over the potential uncertainty that you might have for any of the quarterbacks in this draft class as a, as a rookie or in the first three years of their time in the NFL. Because with, with Cousins, you are going to get the, that stability. You, he's a known commodity. You know what you're going to get in him. You don't have to develop him. There won't be a learning curve. He can come in and run that offense pretty much from day one the second he arrives in Denver or wherever his destination is. Whereas with any of these quarterbacks, there's going to be a developmental curve. And some, it's going to be steep. You know, uh, you, we've seen Josh Allen, for example, linked to Denver. And that will be a steep learning curve. He might be somebody that needs to sit for a little while. And so if Denver or any team that wants to contend right away is approaching this offseason that needs a quarterback, Kirk Cousins probably makes more sense. But the flip side to that is that the current economics of the NFL – almost require you to have a cost-controlled quarterback that allows you to spend money elsewhere. Look at the Seattle Seahawks when they won a Super Bowl. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles this year. You have basically two quarterbacks in Nick Foles and Carson Wentz who are costing you, and this would be last, last year's numbers, about $8 million, $9 million against the cap. It bumps up to $15 million next year because Foles gets a bump. So – on another sense, you might want to look at these rookies and say, well, do we want to pay a ton of money for Kirk Cousins or just hope we get it right and draft a rookie who's cost-controlled, who's going to be relatively inexpensive for the first four to five years of their deal? So that's sort of the the double-edged sword to the Kirk Cousins thing is that he's going to give you stability, but it's got to come at a price. Do you think he's worth that contract that he's probably going to get? It really sort of depends on, I think, the organization. If you look at the three teams that I think are probably most in the market for Kirk Cousins, Cleveland, the New York Jets, and the Denver Broncos, I think for the Broncos it does make sense because they are the closest to being ready to compete. I mean, this is a team that is just a couple of years removed now from winning the Super Bowl. This is a team that has basically the components in place but for the quarterback position right now. When you look at Cleveland, when you look at the Jets, there are pieces missing on both sides of the football. But with the Denver Broncos, it was really quarterback play that held them up last year. And so for a team that's that close to compete, that you know maybe might not have the sort of time to develop a quarterback in the window that they have right now, Cousins would, I think, make sense. Yeah, and to further that point, you have a guy that's probably a future Hall of Famer in Von Miller, and he's at his peak right now. The next three, four, five years, I mean, that is that is prime Von Miller time, and that's as good as he's going to be. Most likely, you know, you're going to start to see a little bit of tail off there. And having a quarterback like Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen come in, I mean, they are going to bring you that financial flexibility because they're not going to be as much, but it's going to take a little bit of time where you bring in Kirk Cousins, you are immediately, I believe at least, immediately competing in the AFC because the AFC right now compared to the NFC, at least as far as I can tell, is definitely not as competitive. I mean, you have older quarterbacks like Tom Brady, your boy. I'm not sure if he's your boy, but, you know, Patriots guy for sure. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger, a little bit older there. And then you have, you know, some other quarterbacks. But really, there's not that much quality depth in the AFC right now. So if you bring in a guy like Kirk Cousins to offer that stability year one, year two, year three, and you can take advantage of still having that peak edge rusher and Von Miller and building around him with the stability at quarterback. 
I think the Broncos can make a quick turnaround and make some noise in the AFC pretty quickly with a guy like Kirk Cousins under center. Yeah, Nick, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think that's the right way to sort of view this because, you know, Denver still is in a contending window. Whereas some of the other teams that might want to approach Kirk Cousins, you know, the, the wild card here would be the Minnesota Vikings, what they decide to do with the quarterback position. Obviously, they've got three guys in the room, but they're all free agents. They can all walk. So there's a slim chance that Minnesota gets into the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes here. But I think, you know, in, in terms of going to a contender, a team where he can win right away, Denver is the most attractive option for him. And it does enable Denver to stay in the mix like you said, in a conference that is somewhat down. If the Broncos got basically mid-tier quarterback play this past season, they would have been probably in the mix for a playoff spot. I mean, that's how the conference was built this year. It was built for teams that got in, like Buffalo, for example, that you know probably shouldn't have gotten in. Or you know, could even make it the case that Tennessee shouldn't have gotten in. But they did because the conference was in a weak sort of position. And the quarterback level of play in the AFC right now is such that Cousins could come in and be one of the top starters in the AFC if he makes a move to Denver. Yeah, and to add on to that is the rumors coming out and talk coming out of Denver is that John Elway is looking to be stepping back and taking a lesser role in the future or more uh, more of an ownership role. And he's going to want to be able to compete again before he does that, if that talk is true. And Kirk Cousins is the quickest path to that. His contract is up after the 2021 season, I think it is. And you got to get that established guy to compete now. Getting one of these rookies is that's they're not going to be in a position to really compete then, compete by then, at least not seriously. And also with the quarterback play this last year, that is one of the reasons why they decided to keep Vance Joseph too, is they've the guys in the front office felt that the quarterback play is what held everybody back more so than the coaching did. And so they want to get him and see what Vance Joseph can do with the, as the head coach with Kirk Cousins in play. It just, with everything, looking at everything, if they can get the contract numbers right, it, it just makes the most sense for both parties, really. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, Eric. I'm not, I, again, I, I think this is the wisest sort of plan A for the Denver Broncos. Now, I know the numbers are going to have to be worked around. I mean, they're they're approaching, you know, they're not up against the cap, but they'd have to make some room to be able to get Cousins in. You know, they might have to make some sort of cap cuts that could hurt on either side of the ball. I mean, we've heard about, you know, Tlaib might get shopped, talking about shopping Emmanuel Sanders. But the trade-off is that you get the guy that comes in, that gives you stability, that can make your team competitive offensively on week one. There's no learning curve. Now, you know, some of the guys we're going to talk about in a bit, the learning curve is not as steep. Like I think of Josh Rosen, you know, to some, a certain extent, Baker Mayfield could even come in and play right away for Denver. But I don't think you're going to have the success right away. And if you're looking to be competitive in the 2018 season, Kirk Cousins makes most sense. Yeah, and to drive that point home, here's some numbers on Kirk Cousins since becoming a full-time starter in 2015. He has 48 games played, which is tied first in the league. Completion percentage of 67.02, which is third place in the league. Yards, 13,176, fourth place. Touchdown passes of 81, which ranks eighth. Rushing touchdowns of 13, which he's actually led the Redskins in rushing touchdowns this season. I think maybe even last season as well. Uh, that would put him at eighth for quarterbacks, which you don't think of Kirk Cousins as being that that goal line quarterback, but he's he's can cross that goal line, that's for sure. Um, and QB rating of 97.5, so he's... He's been putting it together in Washington. Granted, you know, they've they've had a pretty good offensive system there. I like what Jay Gruden does. Solid offensive line besides this past year where it seems like 
they were the team that was a bit harder by the injury bug than any team in the NFL. But what Kirk Cousins did this year honestly drove it home for me that I think this is a, a top 10 guy. And if you get him in the AFC, surround him with a good defense and just let him be competent at the quarterback position, that could really be a solid match. And I think Denver would be a really good spot for him. And furthermore, there is some talk that the the contract for Cousins is potentially going to be a little bit more nuanced than people are talking about. You know, there there is definitely a chance that he could get that $30 million a year contract. But from what I've heard from Eric and from some other people as well reporting on this Cousins contract, it's not so much the APY, the annual percent yield that's going to be so big for Cousins, but it's the guaranteed money. You know, there is talk that he could probably more likely get a contract that's 24 to 28 per year. But the guaranteed percentage, I mean, we're talking 80 90%. So that's that's definitely a, a league-changing kind of contract right there. And I wouldn't be surprised with how much Cousins has spoken on the fact that, you know, it's all about that guaranteed money that he might be able to take a little bit less APY on that contract, but the guaranteed is going to be record-breaking in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that's probably the move that he wants to make is, you know, that's the sort of the way the contracts are headed right now is, you know, these guys want to make sure they get the money. You know, the you know, the top line number, that's really not what matters. It's what they're actually going to walk away from. And, you know, we've seen this with, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo just a couple of days ago. We're going to see it with Cousins. You know, these guys are going for the guaranteed money. That's, you know, that's how they maximize their, you know, short time in the National Football League, even for quarterbacks. You know, it's going to be the lifespan is not that long. So you've got to get what you can before you get out. And the guaranteed money is going to be a huge part of that. I mean, you know, with Garoppolo, $41 million guaranteed at Sidon and I think 74 guaranteed over the life of the contract. And so – and that was actually a step down. I mean, Stafford's deal was 68% of it was guaranteed, $92 million guaranteed over the life of the contract. So that's going to be the big number in the end. Eric, what have you heard on that front since you are more of our inside guy on the on the contracts and the inner workings of the Broncos? Everything I've heard is that Denver wants to try to get him for a little bit cheaper than on it. The latest with Jimmy Garoppolo's contract being signed is that now it's sounding like they're just going to have to beat out that average per year that Garoppolo got, which was like $27.5 million or something like that. Yeah. But the biggest thing is guarantee. I remember watching an interview with Kirk Cousins where he was talking about it, and he, he's a big advocate for getting guaranteed contracts in the NFL. And in another interview I was watching of his, he was talking about how if they want these guaranteed contracts, the players that they know they're going to have to take a little bit less than the overall money that they know they can get. And I know a few other players and I know some contract guys in the NFL have talked on that too, is you want these guaranteed contracts, you got to take less. So I think it's very realistic that Cousins ends up taking maybe a 28 average a year deal with a huge signing bonus. I mean, that huge guaranteed percent. And honestly, that's the way that Denver can make it work the easiest is you can sit there and really structure it a little bit differently and just, and make it work. Maybe help out the cap at year one and add it down because the contract or the salary cap is going to continue to rise up. And you have that yearly raise that comes every year and Denver is getting out of some contracts over the next couple of years. This year, if they get rid of Tlaib, he's out of there. Menelik Watson, he's on the way out. C.J. Anderson, he's likely out. Those guys right there, that's almost $20 million added to the cap. Then you're going to get guys like Brandon Marshall and Darian Stewart, who they're not set for the long term in Denver. They're going to be out in a few years. So if Denver has to go high with the APY, then 
they have the moves that they can make in the future to sit there and make it work and still bring in other guys. They have the moves they can make now. It's just all about the guaranteed money. Is That's everything I've heard. I've talked to a few different people. Uh, a friend of my cousin's, he's close with the Redskins organization, and he's telling me about a conversation that he had with cousins one time as well, talking about guaranteed contracts. And it just sounds like that's what he wants more is – a higher guarantee and he knows that he has to take less overall. Well, getting back to the, the, to the actual play on the field, Mark, when you're watching Kirk, what, what do you see that he does really well? You know, one of the things that stands out watching cousins and studying cousins this year, like I did uh, for the bleach report NFL 1000 project is I like the way he sort of maintains aggression, which is one of the traits that as a quarterback, you, you always have to be appropriately aggressive for the situation, for the moment, for the play against the defense and cousins, while he's not sort of, you know, the best downfield vertical passer, there were times throughout the season last year, whether it was early in the season, late in the season, where, if the situation required it, he was willing to sort of challenge those thrown windows. You know, Jay Gruden does a lot of stuff schematically that helps the quarterback, a lot of mirrored, you know, half field reads. We've got the same sort of passing concept set up to both sides of the field. And then as a quarterback, basically what you have to do is just read the defense, take the easiest throw, whether it's based on field position, hash mark, coverage, whatever it is. So it sort of helps the quarterback, helps you process information, make the right decision. But they he doesn't do a ton that is Gruden doesn't in terms of scheming guys open. That's going to be something that Alex Smith is going to have to adjust to when he comes into this offense. So Cousins was asked to challenge some tighter throwing windows, and he does it, and he does it fairly well, whether it's, you know, cover two looks when you're trying to hit that boundary throw, you know, behind the cornerback before the safety can rotate over, whether it's cover three stuff and you're trying to tack up the seams. Cousins does that very well. You know, and in Gruden's offense, you know, even with what he was asked to do, I, I think he's a very talented quarterback. Some of the mistakes that were made by the Redskins this year, I wouldn't put it on him. I think he processes information extremely well, which is going to be a learning curve for any quarterback who comes into the game right now because so much of it is reading and react to what you see from the defense. And so I, I think Cousins on the field is a very good quarterback. He's sort of that you know mid-tier, like you know anywhere from like 12 to 15 right now, and in the right offensive system could bump up a tier. So – you know, I like the way he attacks defenses. I like the way he challenges windows. I think he's an appropriately aggressive quarterback that can make accurate throws, particularly in the short intermediate areas and down the field when asked to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I can't disagree with you there. And honestly, did you see anything, you know, talking about what he does on the field, but you've probably seen him more than just this past year. Was it this the past year that intrigued you the most with Kirk Cousins? Because like it was, there's so much going wrong around him. I mean, granted, he did have the continuity of the system, but that offensive line was just in the injured ward, obviously, and the running yep. game wasn't great, and he lost you know, guys like Jordan Reed and Terrell Pryor didn't really work out, and that, that whole just offensive system just was never really got going. And Kirk still managed to put up pretty good numbers and played pretty well week in and week out. Yeah, I, I thought he played really well. You know, I'm actually in the D.C. area, so I get to see a lot of cousins. You know, I, I can't wake up in the morning without hearing Kirk Cousins' name, whether I'm just watching the local news or whatever it is, because Washington, D.C. is a Redskins town. It's not a sports town. It's a Redskins town. And people eat, sleep, breathe this team, you know, 365. And so I've seen a ton of Cousins, you know, this past year I studied him for Bleacher Report, but the year before that I was watching a ton of them anyway. And I really thought what stood out this year was one of those catchphrases that, you know, we hear during draft season, competitive toughness. Well, 
you know, one of the ways you can see that on the quarterback is if things aren't going your way, if, you know, balls are clanning off a receiver's hands and, you know, getting tips for interceptions, but you're still out there, you know, handing in the pocket, fighting in the pocket, making throws, doing everything you can to lead your team to victory. You know, that's a box that Kirk Cousins checked. And I was very impressed by it. I mean, you look at that game against Kansas City when he made a throw that should have won that game and the pass wasn't caught in the end zone. You know, it would have been a tough catch for Dawson to make, but Cousins put it where it needed to be. And you saw throws like that throughout this season. And, you know, from that standpoint, I think, you know, with respect to maybe, you know, Baker Mayfield, it's hard to find a rookie that might come in and can sort of, you know, be ahead of where Kirk Cousins is in sort of that competitive toughness, mental toughness type part of playing the position, which is such a huge component to it because not everything's always going to go your way. And as we've seen with Cousins this year, things didn't go his way, but he fought through it and still put up good numbers. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I'm to- I remember that pass now. Was that like week two where it bounced off Doxon's hand against Kansas? Yeah, that was that was an three. early. Yeah, I think it was either. Eh, I think it was week three because I think you know Philly was out in Kansas City week two. But yeah, it was a home game Monday night game for Kansas City. Tough, almost impossible environment to play in, and you know Cousins. And that was when Kansas City was good early in the yeah. year. And Cousins in Washington, they went like toe to toe with them. Cousins made the throw that should have won the game. You know, it took, you know, an incompletion and then, you know, the Chiefs were able to pull out the win at the end. But, you know, that game showed me a lot about Kirk Cousins, the quarterback, Kirk Cousins, the football player, and Kirk Cousins, sort of the leader. Yeah, yeah, that game was I'm looking over the schedule right now because I was some, one of the things I want to talk about was they played some tough teams and they played them really well. They lost to the Vikings by eight points. And I remember watching that game. My dad's a pretty big Vikings fan. And Cousins made some great throws there. And ultimately what lost in the game was the defense just wasn't able to hold up. And they went seven and nine this year. And I think if you take Kirk Cousins on that, I'd be surprised if they'd win more than three games. Yeah. Just with all the injuries on the offensive line, Reed getting hurt and the receivers, their issues, he didn't have a lot to work with. And he still took that team and exceeded what I would have expected otherwise. I think a lot of people don't realize that he can do that is that he when when you want look at a quarterback is you want the guy who can take the talent to the next level around him and he did that in Washington he made a lot of those guys look better than they are and he still had to deal with a lot of drops from the receivers he had to deal with the banged up offensive line he had to de- deal with injuries to the running backs I can't even remember how many they ended up losing on the season all this stuff that he dealt with and he just persevered and when before a few weeks ago, I was really anti-Denver getting Cousins. And then for my free agency preview that I was getting ready to work on, I went through and I watched all their games. And it, it was very clear to me is that if he had the talent, this team would have gone a lot farther than they did. But where they got was because of him. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much a great way to put it, Eric. And, you know, I think when you sort of look back at, you know, how the Redskins played this year. I mean, there are games that jump out the Kansas City when they ended up losing. You know, they go out to Seattle and win a game, you know, in another tough environment, you know, in a game that sort of came down to the end there. You know, they went toe-to-toe with the Saints in week 11. They lost by three. I mean, this is a team that, you know, that they lost some close games, some tough games against some pretty good competition. Yeah, there were some stinkers that they had. You know, they get blown up by Dallas in week 13. They get blown up by the Chargers in week 14. But this was a team that they finished seven and nine, but it could have really been a lot worse. And the, some of the games that they won or even were close losses were because of what Kirk Cousins did for them. 
Yeah, he definitely brings a lot to the table. But something that I think is pretty interesting when looking at these quarterbacks, not only Kirk Cousins, but all these guys, but fill in, fill in this sentence for us. Kirk Cousins needs blank to succeed. I mean, I think for Cousins, you do need solid protection because one of the things that you can notice watching Kirk Cousins is not the best against pressure. You know, there was there was a thread recently on Twitter where somebody strung together a lot of his interceptions or the bulk of his interceptions that came when he was facing pressure, whether it was a free rusher, whether it was a breakdown in protection, whether it was, you know, a twist or a stunt up front that got, you know, a rusher towards him. There are times when his decision-making and his ball placement will dip and it comes mostly when he's in the face of pressure. So he's going to need to have solid offensive line around him. And that, you know, kind of makes what he did this year stand out even more because even with that weakness to his game and the problems that the Redskins had putting on a healthy offensive line week in, week out, and the fact that he faced a ton of pressure, he still had a good season, even though pressure made him, you know, put him in some situations where he made mistakes. And so I think, you know, that's the thing that he sort of needs. If he can get consistent pass protection, consistent play up front, that's going to put him in the best sort of situation to succeed as a passer. That's that's awesome. That's what we like to hear. Denver's had some issues with the, the offensive line and pass protection over the past few years. I'm not sure if you're totally aware of that, but every yeah. single mock draft I have that comes out, I feel like everybody harasses me. The Broncos need to fix that offensive line. Right. Yeah, it's getting there, hopefully. Every, it takes a takes more than one season to get there when it's been as poor as it's been, but that's definitely a big thing. As the Broncos do get a guy like Kirk Cousins, they do have that fifth overall that they can take a guy like Quentin Nelson. Maybe a tackle rises up, or maybe they trade down and get a guy later on. Maybe a team like Buffalo trades up. So there's some options there that they can build around Kirk Cousins and make sure that he has what he needs to succeed. But another area about quarterbacks that's important, in my opinion, is what they can overcome. And when you bring Kirk Cousins to the table, what sort of faults on a team that he can help mask that makes the team better, even if they are weaker in some area? Well, I think sort of one of the things that you would get when you add Kirk Cousins is you keep the entire playbook open. You know, you keep the entire offensive system open and available to the offensive coordinator. Whereas if you bring in a sort of a rookie, if you bring in a guy like a Josh Allen or a Josh Rosen, you know, you're going to sort of limit what the offense does. You're going to sort of put the brakes on the offense a little bit. You're going to try to do more with the run game. You might see a lot more, you know, seven, eight-man boxes, which kind of impacts your ability to run the football. Whereas with Kirk Cousins, the entire playbook is open. You can do whatever you want. Teams, if you want to stack the box against Kirk Cousins, fine. He can beat you in a bunch of different ways throwing the ball downfield. And, you know, the offensive coordinator will have no qualms about turning the keys over to him. Whereas with a rookie, you know, there are going to be sort of those situations where against stacked boxes, he still might hand it off. He still might be afraid to sort of make those aggressive decisions like we talked about with Cousins. And so I think he will allow you to do everything you want from an offensive schematic standpoint. He will allow you to challenge defenses in a variety of ways. You can have, you know, exhaustive game plans put together. Things that will force the op- opposition, force the opponent and their defensive coordinator to really spend a lot of time going through different scenarios week in and week out to get ready to play the Denver Broncos with Kirk Cousins as quarterback. Whereas if it's, again, a rookie quarterback, you know that you're going to, only going to get a portion of that playbook, a couple of different looks from them because you've got to simplify things while that guy sort of gets his feet wet and learns that system. And so I think that's what he allows you to overcome. He allows you to overcome sort of the, you know, newness that a rookie quarterback would bring. He allows you to keep the entire offense open and available to the offensive coordinator and it allows you to stress the defense at 
all levels of the field with everything you've got in the playbook. Yeah, on top of that too is that you got to look at what he brings to with the other players. When you have a rookie coming in, they don't have always they don't always get looked upon as to be the leader of the offense. Kirk Cousins, he knows how to handle himself. He knows how to take command of the offense and be the leader that the guys follow. And that is something that Denver actually really needs. Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, even uh, Trevor Simeon, none of these guys were able to lead, really lead the offense. They struggled, and there was a lot of issues with other offensive players with these guys. And you don't have to worry about that with Kirk Cousins. And maybe some of these rookies, maybe you don't have to worry about it, but you don't know because you can't ever really tell how a rookie is going to act until they get there. Paxton Lynch, there's a lot of talk that he came in and he was kind of entitled, had an air about him that he was hot stuff. There's, I've heard rumors about that about a few other quarterbacks too throughout the league. So getting that veteran, I mean, yeah, it opens up that playbook too, but it, you get that leader at that quarterback position that you have to have. Yeah, Eric, that's a great point. And what I thought was really sort of interesting, you know, think back to, you know, week 16 in the aftermath of that game. You know, obviously Denver – you know, they play Washington. The players on the Broncos side of the ball get to see Kirk Cousins up close. And you saw pretty shortly thereafter, you know, guys on the defensive side of the ball for Denver talking about, oh, you know, they had a pretty good guy over there in Kirk Cousins. You know, and so you could tell to your point that this was, you know, a team that was almost starved for leadership and stability at the quarterback position. So you almost get the sense that the organization – you know, taps into that and is cognizant of that sort of desire and want, you know, from perhaps some of the veterans on this team to get a stable presence at the quarterback spot, then maybe that's going to force them to sort of pursue this because it's going to really provide a boost to the entire team. I mean, if you're, you know, we started opening up talking about Vaughn Miller. If you're Vaughn Miller and you see him go out and be aggressive and go get Kirk Cousins, that gives you some buy-in. But whereas if they step back and you bring in like a Baker Mayfield or or Josh Allen or somebody, I mean, what are you really thinking there? I mean, is the thought that you're going to be able to compete and win a Super Bowl with this guy as a rookie? Maybe. But you'd feel a lot more comfortable, you know, in an idea like that if it's Kirk Cousins that's coming to town. Yeah, and when Denver won that Super Bowl a few years back with Peyton Manning, he didn't play great. But he what he was is he was the leader on the offense and yeah. he kept them doing their job once he left it was very clear that that was missing so I, I think a lot of people are from what i see with broncos fans anyway on twitter always messaging me and tweeting at me and stuff is that they're not valuing the leadership that Kirk cousins brings like they should be you, you gotta have it and as you said all the players after the game even before the game players were sitting there talking about how they needed to go get a guy or not not saying it directly, but you can take the implications were there in what they said. Von Miller implied it a lot of times in interviews that they, they got to get some more help from the offense and the quarterback. Brandon Marshall, I can't, he basically flat out said it at one point. I uh, can't remember the exact quote. And then you have a guy like Akeem Tlaib, who, yeah, he may be out now, but he, he and Chris Harris have both been vocal in, in and out of the locker room about getting help from the offense. I have a hard time seeing the front office hear the players talk like this and not realize that, hey, we got to go get this guy. We got to go get them the leader that these guys want. We still have a few more quarterbacks to get to here, but we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. 
Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. All right. Well, that seems like a good stopping point there for, for Kirk Cousins. We could talk about him for an entire show if we really wanted to. But I really want to get to, to some of these upcoming rookies. And I want to start with this. This is my guy. We, we did a, a series, Mark, on each of us kind of took a guy under our wing and said, this is, this is the guy we're going to pound the table for. And I had Sam Darnold. Eric had Baker Mayfield and and Nick had Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold. This is this is a guy I loved watching his games and he had a lot of issues. I one of my favorite videos you've ever done was actually his interception video just to see them back to back to back and just to see him doing the exact same things over and over again. It just I, I guess it really helps to open your eyes. So I recommend any of our listeners go watch his videos on the, on the interceptions of these players and just the issues that they had. And I, I guess just starting off here with Sam, do you think it was the right decision for him to come out this year? You know, that's a tough question, Carl, because you could definitely tell that I don't want to full on say that he regressed from, you know, two years ago to last year, but I think as you alluded to, you go through some of his film, you see some repeated mistakes, you see the mechanical inconsistencies in the upper and lower body, the upper body, which has gotten a lot of attention, the lower body, which hasn't gotten as much, but is still prevalent. And so there was a part of me that thought, you know, maybe he would, you know, be better served by going back and trying to clean some of this stuff up. But when you sort of take a step back and look at the more global picture in a couple of respects, one, you know, what is he really going to get back at USC when you're running this offense that, you know, didn't really seem to do him any favors from a schematic standpoint because it seemed like it was sort of hurting in a sense, his lower body mechanics, number one. And number two, you know, when you got a chance to go in the top five of the draft, like Sam Darnold does, it almost doesn't make sense to go back, you know, and expose yourself to a year of hits, a year of potential injuries. You know, you've got a chance to come out and get, into that first NFL contract and start playing under NFL coaching where you will probably get a better chance to develop and refine some of those flaws, then why not come out? And so while I would have loved to get a chance to study him for one more year, I think in the end, coming out was the best decision for him. And now it's just a matter of will he be able to you know, refine some of the things he does need to refine from a decision-making or from a mechanical standpoint and whether he'll get the chance to sort of do that on the fly or – Will he be more eased into it? That will probably depend on his landing spot. But, you know, I, I think he's certainly talented enough to be a top flight quarterback in the NFL. It's just when you start talking about rookies, you're starting to bet on development. And there are times when it happens and there are times like we've seen that it doesn't. On that note, you, you talked about his me- mechanics and decision making. How much of that do you think he can actually fix being at the NFL level? You know, that's sort of the million-dollar question with Donald. I think all of these guys, and that's what makes this such a fascinating quarterback class of studies. They all have warts and red flags and issues that they're going to need to address as they transition to life in the NFL. And and for Donald, for me, it is sort of the mechanical stuff. And, you know, we can split it to the upper body and lower body. And I don't really care as much with the long, loopy windup because he sort of has enough arm strength where it doesn't really cost him much. And he's much better than most quarterbacks in this class when it comes to sort of making anticipation throws, which really sort of is the great equalizer when it comes to that. Because yeah, if your delivery is a little bit slow, okay, that can hurt you if you don't anticipate throws. But if you're getting the ball out either on time or even ahead of schedule, like Donald has done at times, 
that sort of negates any sort of, you know, pause or delay that could cause problems. And so I, I, I'm not as worried about the upper body stuff. It's the lower body stuff where we saw, again, when you go through his interceptions, a lot of, you know, stepping in the bucket, stepping away from the target, opening up that left hip early. You know, that's the footwork type stuff that he's going to need to clean up. And it doesn't need to be perfect. You know, quarterbacks don't need to have perfect mechanics. And I've long said, you know, when we went through this last year with Patrick Mahomes, you know, I don't care how the ball gets there as long as it gets to where it needs to be, when it needs to be. And if you start screwing that up, then I've got a problem with it. You know, because people had, you know, an issue sort of with Mahomes' footwork and his play style. And there are guys in the NFL that don't have perfect mechanics. Russell Wilson doesn't have perfect mechanics. But, you know, he gets the ball where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. With Donald, it doesn't always happen that way. So he does need to get it a little bit better. You know, I, I think when you get into the NFL, when you have sort of the time to take on, you know, private throne coaches, we saw that with Carson Wentz this past year, and some other guys that needed to refine that stuff to clean that stuff up. It can happen, and it's it's not like a tear down and rebuild situation. Don't get me wrong; he just needs to clean it up. I think he can do that, but if it's a situation where, say, he goes to Cleveland and he's pressed into action immediately, and they don't have a ton of stuff around him, and he starts to struggle, that's when quarterbacks, particularly young quarterbacks, revert to muscle memory to what they've been doing forever. Because when everything else is going wrong, that's the one sort of crutch you have is the things you've been doing for your entire life, which is using those sloppy mechanics, and that could be a bad situation for him. But if he's in a better environment with more talent around him, and maybe if he, you know, is eased into a situation where maybe he, you know, starts in week four or week five or something similar to Mitchell Trubisky this year, that could be a situation where the stuff gets cleaned up. He's confident. He's got talent around him, and that could help tighten up the things he needs to tighten up. With him being only twenty years old, how do you think NFL teams are going to take to him? Since he is going to be that top three pick, most likely top five pick. Like leadership wise, how do you think they're going to respond to him being there? You know, that that's a fascinating question and it might sort of be best answered, you know, after he's drafted, when we get a chance to say, you know, the situation, the coaching staff and the sort of the locker room dynamic that he's going to be walking into, because you could see some scenarios where you're looking at the top two teams, in the draft again, where it's Cleveland be a young guy on a young team with a team that just drafted another young quarterback. So there's, you know, a stressful sort of dynamic there when you're the first overall pick on a team that desperately needs to solve the quarterback decision. You know, there are going to be some levels of expectations that come with that that would be different if he goes to the New York Giants at number two. When they've got Eli Madden, they've got a new GM who likes to establish the run and sort of, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust type situation – there will be no expectations for Sam Donald there because the expectation will be he's going to sit and wait until Eli's done. And so that's probably a question that's best answered in May. But sitting here right now, I think that, you know, in the end, winning cures everything. You know, and if Donald comes out and just plays lights out, teammates will warm to him. And he was playing in a pretty big spotlight already at USC. And he was the talk of last year's combine. He came into this year with huge expectations. And while he regressed in some senses, I think, or, you know, took a step back just slightly, you know, if you want to call it that, he still had a pretty good year. And he still did some things that were very impressive from a scouting standpoint. And there's a reason we're still talking about him as potentially the first quarterback off the board. I mean, you know, 
when I was down in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, I had multiple people from multiple big-time media outlets tell me, look, Darnold is the guy that's going off the board first for a variety of reasons, whether it's red flags with the other guys, whether it's they still see the talent there, that he can be the best quarterback in the end, that it's going to be Darnold who ends up being QB1. There's a reason people still believe that way about him. And part of it is the fact that despite all the nitpicking we did with him this year, there still is a very good quarterback there inside of him. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I heard when I was down there at the Senior Bowl, too. I had multiple people tell me, Cleveland, that's where he's going. And uh, I'm kind of with you. I don't know if that's going to be the best fit because there's a good chance he's just going to be forced into to action right away. And I guess that, that brings me to my next question here. Of what, what do you think he does need to succeed beyond just maybe getting that chance to sit or maybe learn a little bit? What else do you think he needs? Well, I think with Donald, you sort of need a scheme that doesn't rely a ton on, you know, perfect time in routes and rhythm routes and things like that because of you know some of the issues that he has as a quarterback right now like i think if you get him into an offense like new england's right now which is predicated so much on timing and rhythm and placement of the ball you know perfect sort of two three-step drop whatever the situation calls for and getting the ball out on time you know that's not the ideal offense for him but if you look at sort of you could say a you know a more vertical downfield passing game where you know the right time and in depth of the route, the right time and in depth of the drop don't matter a ton, then I think he would be a good fit for an offense like that. Like what, what Bruce Arians has been doing for years, you know, he's retired now, but, you know, sort of a vertical-based air Coriel type offense, I think that would be a very good fit for him. I also think, look, he's got pretty good processing speed, so you could get him into a more West Coast offense where you know, the footwork and stuff, that does matter a little bit, but he's still asked to make quick decisions, get the ball out quickly, where you know the, the rhythm to it doesn't matter as much. It's just get the ball, make the right read, and make the throw quickly. And so I, I think the scheme fit's going to matter for Donald a lot, particularly as he starts to work through some of the issues he has as a quarterback right now. But scheme fit matters for most of these guys. There's only one that I think is really sort of scheme diverse. We're going to get to him in a second. But, you know, for Donald, I think that the scheme fit's going to be a big issue of how well he develops early in his career. What would you say would maybe be the, the biggest reason he su- succeeds and maybe what's the biggest reason he will fail in the NFL? Well, I mean, I, I think – you know, the biggest reason he could fail, and I come back to, and I'm not going to try to use this for each example because it's an easy crutch, but if he's forced to play early in Cleveland, you know, that could be a reason where things don't go well for him. Because again, you're being, the expectations will be so high. They're almost impossible to live up to the talent there is questionable right now, although there was the potential to add some great pieces around whoever they bring to quarterback this year for the Cleveland Browns. But then I look to sort of how Hugh Jackson handled Deshaun Kaiser. And I have serious reservations about how Jackson handled Kaiser last year from a schematic standpoint, from just a, almost a human relations standpoint. Like, I don't have a problem benching a quarterback. I don't have a problem benching a rookie quarterback. If things are to the point where you are causing harm to your mental and physical well-being, like if you're down 45 to nothing and you're out there throwing interceptions in the third quarter, get the guy out of there because you don't want him causing harm to himself. You don't want him like destroying himself from a confidence standpoint. They pulled Kaiser at halftime of a 3-0 game. And the 
yeah, he had just thrown an interception in the end zone. I get it. It was a bad throw. But the only message that Hugh Jackson sent to Sean Kaiser in that situation was, I don't trust you to win a 3 nothing game against the Jets. Like, what message does that send to a young quarterback? It, the message is simple. Like, my head coach doesn't believe in me at all. And so that's a tough environment. I'm extremely skeptical about Jackson's ability to sort of develop young quarterbacks. I I'm just from what, how he handled Kaiser this year and even from what he did schematically, he didn't do a ton to help him, didn't do a ton of motion shifting, all the stuff that Hugh Jackson was known for with other quarterbacks, with Carson Palmer when Palmer had his great year, excuse me, when Andy Dalton had his great year, all the motion and shifting, the chaos stuff, they did none of that for him. And that's how you help your quarterback. Look at how much motion the New England Patriots use. And they're playing with Tom Brady. And they do everything they can to help Tom Brady in the pre-snap phase so he knows what the coverage is, where his best matchup is, where he should go with the football. And you're talking about doing that for arguably the greatest of all time? Do it for a young rookie quarterback. Jackson didn't do enough of that last year, and it sort of did not help Kaiser's development at all. And now they're back needing a quarterback because they've lost all confidence in, in Deshaun Kaiser. And so that's my fear with Donald is that, you know, he's going to need a situation where he can step in and be confident because he's an aggressive kid. He's almost got that gunslinger mentality, which is one of the things that serves him very well. But if he's in a situation where his head coach starts to lose faith in him and pulls him from games and things like that happen, that's where it could go south. This is going to be maybe kind of a, a weird question. And I'm just going to throw it out there. If you were Sam Darnold or one of the top quarterbacks in this draft, would you be fighting not to have Cleveland draft you? You know, that it's it's so hard because I think in some sense, yeah, I'd rather go somewhere else because of all the reasons I just talked about with Hugh Jackson. But at the same time, like, you know, and, and we saw it, you know, what was it, four or five weeks ago when Josh Rosen came out and said more than anything what matters is not where I get picked in terms of draft order, but, you know, the team that I end up with and whether the scheme is the best fit. And people immediately jumped on that. And part of the reason they immediately jumped on it, I believe, is because we have these, you know, this is preconceived sort of notion about Josh Rosen, which we'll get into, I'm sure. But people immediately jumped on that and said, oh, he, look, he doesn't want to go to Cleveland. He's not competitively tough. You know, Cleveland fans were starting to wonder if, you know, they should buy in on this guy. Like, he's not going to be tough enough to be here. But he's right. You know, we spend so much time breaking down these guys and watching their tape and, you know, recorded videos breaking down all of their interceptions. I mean, who's crazy enough to spend time doing that? Oh, wait, me. But anyway, <laughs> you know, we spend all this time doing it. But what really matters in the end is the fit with their coaches, the fit with the offensive scheme and, you know, where they end up. Their eventual landing spot matters so much. And look, if it were me, you know, going through that, you know, not that there was a huge market for five, 10, 165 pound triple option quarterbacks coming out of division three college. But if it were me in that situation, you know, I'd, you know, send me to the giants, you know, where I can learn, like send me to, you know, Denver, that's got an established team around. I mean, even send me to the jets where I think with the offense that they had last year, you know, they did some fun, interesting stuff and in sort of an air raid slash West coast attack, which is going to be very quarterback friendly. But then I see what Hugh Jackson did with Kaiser. I'm just like, nah, I don't know about that, man, because they just – it's almost like they ruined Kaiser, and now they're getting ready to load up to do it again to another early-round quarterback. Where do you think he's going to be, say, five years from now? What kind of quarterback is he going to be? You know, I, I think with Darnold, in the end, he has the talent. He has 
the you know the mental makeup to be a very good quarterback in the NFL. And I think, you know, again, all that stuff I just said about you know Jackson and Cleveland and all that stuff, Darnold has the ability to sort of overcome that. You know, he was in a situation at USC where the world was expected of him going into this past year because people were saying that he was the best quarterback, you know, out of the past two drafts, you know, so ahead of Watson, ahead of Mahomes, ahead of Trubisky. You know, he was the guy everybody was talking about. And he still came up and had a pretty good season this year. It's just the life cycle of a draft quarterback prospect is such that in August, you are QB1. You throw an interception in September, you are QB5. Everybody moves on to the next thing. And maybe it takes a while for people to get back to where they belonged in the beginning. That's what happened to Deshaun Watson. He was everybody sort of QB1 going into last year or two years ago. He throws some interceptions early. Everybody looks for somewhere else. They look at Trubitsky. They look at Mahomes. They look at Kaiser. But in the end, it was Deshaun Watson who you know, has the national championship win against Alabama, checks a lot of boxes. People still found exit ramps on him with the velocity numbers. But still, in the end, first-round quarterback. And I, I think it's similar with, with Sam Donald in that he's still an extremely talented quarterback. Yes, there are issues, but the sort of gunslinger, aggressive nature that he has, the ability to make throws on the move, you know, a guy that can function in most offenses. I think there might be some schematic limitations like we talked about. I think there's still enough there to think that he's going to be a good quarterback and will still be playing at a pretty high level. You know, he will be playing at a high level and, you know, the, at the end of his rookie deal. Final question here for you on him. Do you have a, a pro comparison that you like to, to compare him to? Yeah, I, I'm not a huge comp guy just because, you know, my comp on all these guys, you know, my comp on Sam Donald is Sam Donald. I mean, quarterbacks, they're, they're all different. You know, they have different sort of playing styles. I think, you know, from – you know, uh, he's got the sort of mechanics, at least the upper body mechanics right now of Russell Wilson. He has sort of the aggressive nature. You know, it, it's almost Farvian in a sense. I saw the great Matt Waldman do a video on Donald and sort of compared him to, at some level to Favre from a sort of, yeah, there are flaws there. Yeah, there are things here that are sort of rough around the edges, but it's going to work out because he has sort of the stuff between the ears as well as is you know the guts to make some throws that other guys will shy away from and the process and speed that other quarterbacks lack so you know there are some good things to like about sam darnold and i think in the end like he's still going to end up being a good quarterback in the nfl yeah there is a lot to like there with darnold it's a lot of tools i mean you got the athlete my my pro comparison i think he's got kind of the the wonkiness of the philip rivers at the top but then he has those magician moments in the pocket where i see a little bit of tony romo but again you know Pro comps are the guys are each individual, so yeah. not the best, but kind of kind of good to get it out there for the listeners sometimes so they can kind of get an idea. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this first part of the Huddle Up podcast. We went a little bit long, so that's great. We're talking quarterbacks, and Mark's really killing the game here, offering some great analysis on a lot of the quarterbacks, Kurt Cousins and Sam Darnold, who just started. And we're going to get to some other guys in the next episode, but that's all the time we have for this one. Otherwise, you're going to be getting a two-hour-long podcast. You can find Mark on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. Carl at Carl Delmer MHH, Eric at Eric Trickle, and myself at Nick Kendall MHH. Also, make sure you head on over to Mile High Huddle, an affiliate of Scout.com and CBS Sports Digital, to find ours and our co-writers' content, not just related to the draft, but all things that pertain to your Denver Broncos. Make sure you guys also go check out Mark's work on the quarterback class on YouTube and over at Inside the Pylon. And I would say maybe go check out Lockdown Patriots, but I can't condone that sort of behavior from Broncos country. It's just too gross. 
You can also follow the Huddle Up podcast by subscribing to us on iTunes and for Android users, Stitcher, as well as check us out on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at Huddle and at HuddleUpPod. Again, please be sure to subscribe and rate us and reach out to us as we love interacting with fellow Bronco fans. For Carl, Eric, and Mark, I'm Nick, wrapping up another episode of the Huddle Up Draft Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next week. Go Broncos and go draft. Mile high huddle.